Bart Daly, Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. The full show is on Sirius XM page, but we give you one segment and then one interview on the abbreviated version here. So the first hour of the show, we talked about how I, I just can't trust the government with anything anymore. And it, it used to be, I'm a conservative. I don't think the government can do things well. Like, I don't trust the government to administer welfare payments. That, that's what it was. Then it turned into, oh, geez, I don't trust the government with the military. Like, I don't, I don't even trust us fighting wars. And that used to be a thing, conservatives. It's like we didn't consider the military part of government. And that was separate. We, we don't trust the government, but the military was different. And now with Afghanistan and now Ukraine, we see that that is, uh, that's not true. Like, they, they are the same. It is government. So, ugh, that's bad. I don't like being there either. But now this new place is, oh, I don't, I don't trust. Like not only do I not trust, I, everything could be a false flag. And I don't want to be Alex Jones here, but we kicked off the first segment with a Wall Street Journal article about Chinese nationals posing as tourists sneaking into U.S. military bases, according to U.S. officials. And I'm like, mm, I don't even know if I believe that. <laughs> like, like I want to believe it because I don't like China and I think they would. But why, why are U.S. officials leaking that information in the Wall Street Journal? I don't know what to believe. And then I was reading this weekend about Operation Northwoods. Just give a Google of Operation Northwoods. It's a real thing where the CIA was talking about creating these false flag operations so we could justify war with Cuba. So we just did this whole thing about not trusting the government at all. And that's a shame. I don't like to be in this position, but I don't know where else to be. I don't so that was the first segment, but we're not going to do that segment for you. Uh, we're going to instead play the second segment of the show where we talked about envy and how envy applies to us in our lives, but also the hatred of Donald J. Trump. Friday, we talked about empathy, Biden's lack of it. We're told he's the empathizer in chief. But then he goes to Maui and talks about a 67 Corvette. And that doesn't feel like someone with a lot of empathy. And then we played some videos of Gold Star families and injured veterans who were aghast at how disconnected and offensive Joe Biden was when they all met in person. Uh, so that was the other day. Today I want to talk about a different emotion that humans have and how it affects our country. I'm going to talk about envy. And I want to talk about it in the context of Trump. But I'm always more interested about how it affects our own individual lives. But we can do both. So this fact here has always blown my mind. This is Julius Caesar, as quoted by Plutarch around the year 100. Julius Caesar said, do you not think it is a matter for sorrow that while Alexander at my age was already king of so many peoples, I have as yet to achieve no brilliant success? Julius Caesar was envious of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was about 300 BC. So Julius Caesar was killed in 44 BC. So, so Julius Caesar is lamenting the fact that this guy, 250 years before him, was more powerful and achieved more sooner than Julius Caesar. 
<laughs> Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar was jealous. Julius Caesar was envious at the power that another guy had. This is one of my favorite quotes ever. Bertrand Russell. He said, you may envy Napoleon, but Napoleon envied Caesar. And Caesar envied Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great envied Hercules, who never existed. You, you can get away from envy by avoiding comparisons with those you imagine, perhaps falsely, to be more fortunate than yourself. Focusing on the fortune of others is a guaranteed recipe for, at the very least, anxiety. And envy is poison to gratitude, and gratitude is one of the keys to life. And envy will make sure that you never feel grateful for anything ever again, which means you'll never be happy, ever. Does that make sense? Gratitude equals contentment and happiness. Envy will kill gratitude and you'll never be happy or content. And we're all susceptible to it. Check this out. There's a survey done. They asked a bunch of people, and I want to ask you. You get two options. Right? You get your two options here. Would you rather have option A, where you get two weeks of vacation, you get two weeks of vacation a year. Your coworkers only get one. Okay. It's option, option A. You get two weeks, your coworkers get one. Or would you take option B, where you get four weeks of vacation, but your coworkers get eight weeks of vacation? Which would you do? Option A? Option A, you get two weeks, your coworker gets one. So you get more, you get twice as much. Or option B, where you get four weeks of vacation, but your coworkers get eight, twice as much as you. Option A, you get twice as much as them. Option B, they get twice as much as you. Now, of course, the right answer is option B. <laughs> it's way better for you to have four weeks of vacation than two weeks of vacation. But a shocking number of people choose option A where they get less vacation time because in the end, they'll get more than their coworkers. They would rather have that. They would rather have less vacation if it means more than everyone else. That's messed up, isn't it? And you're like, well, hold on. Option B, you get twice as much vacation time. Nope. Because other people will have more than me and I can't have that. That's not fair. That's what people say. I don't want option B. Because other people have more vacation. I mean, that's not fair. That's amazing to me. Now, I don't know how much vacation time you get. You probably want more. And you're looking at the guy who has more. You look at that other guy who has, has more vacation time than you. And you're thinking that's not a fair. Uh, you're getting upset by that. But there's other people who have no vacation. I gave a speech in Wisconsin once. And I met a family after the speech. And they had a bunch of kids. It was a wife with a bunch of kids. Said, oh, where's dad? And they were dairy farmers. So he gets no days off. That's <laughs> zero, no days, no weekends. The cows don't care that yesterday was Labor Day. No days off ever. No such thing. So you have a choice. You can either compare yourself to the guy who has six weeks of vacation and be jealous and envious, or you can compare yourself to the dairy farmer who's never had a day off and never will have a day off in his life and be grateful. But we don't. We choose to, just like Julius Caesar looked at Alexander the Great, said, aw, <laughs> he, 
He did more sooner than I did. Isn't that a ridiculous thing inside of us? What is up with that? I'll give you another study, and then we'll bring it to Trump. They asked little kids, five and six-year-olds. They paired kids up. And they said, all right, kid, you can have eight treats. Eight treats. I don't know what they were. Marshmallows, chocolate, whatever. You can have eight treats. And your friend here will get, your partner will get eight as well. Pretty good. You each get eight. right? Or you can get seven treats and your partner gets zero. And more kids chose the second option. <laughs> more kids chose, which is extra bizarre because the second option is less for them. I could understand it if the second option was you get 12 treats and they get none. I could see a kid being like, well, I want more. Option A is I get eight. Option B is I get more. I get 12. So I want, I want 12. And they don't even think about the other person. I can understand that. Where they don't even think about the other person. They're only five years old. But that's not the option. Option B is you get less. You get less. But they still take it because that means the other, the other kid gets zero. <laughs> that's crazy. Now listen, I take studies like this with a grain of salt. I used to take them much more seriously, but none of them are able to be replicated. It's not real science, these studies and surveys. It's not real science. But uh, I think they confirm life. I think they confirm what we've all seen in our life, and they confirm what's in the Bible. One reason I love the Bible so much is because it's all about human nature. It's ancient in the past. It's eternal in the future. And when the Bible says don't do something, that means people have been doing that thing for thousands of years. And when the Bible says to do something, that means it's a natural thing for humans. Excuse me, it's not a natural thing for humans to do. So if the Bible says don't do something, people have been doing it forever. And if the Bible says do something, that means it's not natural to do. I once saw a list of 1,050 New Testament commands. And I haven't checked all of them. It's a lot of them. But I've checked many of them. And they've all been right. Every single one I've checked has been spot on. And it's all broken up into sections. It's like, uh, here are, here's a list of seven abstain froms, seven things to avoid, 30 be nots, four things to flee from. And it's just a list of all those, 1,050. And they're all things that human beings have always done. Like, like do not do this. <laughs> but there, there's a reason why the Bible mentions bestiality four times. It says, don't do this thing. It mentions it four times. Why does it say don't do that thing? Because that's a thing that the humans have always done. And that's why I know we have much further to fall. That's, that's, that's the worst thing you can think, right? So that, like, that's where we will ultimately go if we continue on this path. And the Bible says don't do it. Why? Because people have always done it. And then there's a bunch of do's. The Bible is a bunch of do this. Well, those are not natural. And the Bible a lot talks about being grateful. Be exceedingly glad. Matthew five twelve. Be of good cheer. John sixteen three. Be hospitable. Romans twelve thirteen. Be content with your pay. Specifically, be content with your pay. Luke three fourteen. So the Bible says, be generous. These are things that don't come naturally. So you have to you have to go and be them. <laughs> All right. So let's tie it to Trump. I think one aspect, one, there's many, 
one aspect of the Trump hatred is envy. It's envy. He stopped our girl, Hillary, from making history. So he has to be torn down at all costs. Why? Why do they do that? This is an interesting question. Let's back it up a second. Why do people get angry when something bad happens to them? Why do people get, why do you, why do I, why do we all get angry when something bad happens? We get angry as a weapon to use against that person to make sure they don't do it again. That's, that's the root, or that's, that's the, um, the, the reason for anger. Rob Henderson makes this point. I love Rob Henderson. He's got a new book coming out too, so I'm super excited to talk to him. Soon. So he says, imagine your best friend is supposed to pick you up from the airport. Right, your best buddy's picking you up from the airport. He's five hours late. You're going to get angry at him. You will. You'll yell at him. You'll make your friend feel bad. Rob says the underlying mechanism is, hey, you can't treat me this way, so I'm going to make your life miserable right now by yelling at you so that you won't do it again. It's unpleasant to be on the receiving end of someone's anger, which is why it's so effective. So someone does something bad to you, the response is you yell at them or you can silent treatment them. You can do the opposite. This is what women tend to do. They, they, right? the, the point, they, they impose a cost on someone, whether it's yelling at them or cutting them off. Either way, you're imposing a cost. You're inflicting pain on this person so they don't do that thing to you anymore. They're being five hours late or whatever the, the problem was. That hurt you, so you yell or ignore them. You inflict pain or withhold pleasure, whatever. You inflict some sort of pain on them to make sure they don't do it again. That's part of the Trump hatred. It is a human's natural desire to inflict pain on the person who hurt me. In this case, I'm inflicting pain on the person who hurt Hillary and stopped history from happening. So millions of people decided on 20, in 2016 to spend the rest of their life inflicting pain on this man and on anyone else who dare support him. Because Trump hurt me. He wounded me so horrifically. He wounded me so badly by denying Hillary the presidency. I must, I must inflict pain upon him forever. <laughs> that's, our, that, that's part of it. But back to envy. We are becoming more of a country, and this is a bad thing. We're becoming more of a country where we prefer to see people fail than to succeed. This is a big problem. We used to encourage people to succeed. We used to encourage people to make money and do exciting new things and invent new things and, and reap the rewards of doing new things. Now there's a lot of tearing people down in our culture and this is a bad sign. You know the, the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? You know the Ask, it, Ask the Audience lifeline? So when this show got it was big, it went all around the world. So they, every country had their own version with their own Regis, their own host and their own everything, right? So in America, the person would ask the audience and the audience would do their best to give the right answer. Of course, why would they do any differently? Because we're all rooting for the guy. We all want the guy to get the right answer. We all want the guy to win a million bucks. It'd be great to see. And then when someone did it for the first time, I can picture the guy, I don't forget his name, but I can picture the guy who got a million bucks for the first time and everyone cheered and the confetti and it was great news. In Russia, and this is an old relic from communism, 
the audience gives the wrong answer on purpose. You, you never ask the audience because they're not rooting for you. They don't want to see you win. They don't want the guy to win the money. <laughs> In America, we, we would never even consider that. People would think differently. Of course we want to see the guy win the money. But in Russia, they don't want to see the guy win. So they sabotage his chances. If he's stupid enough to ask the audience, we're going to give him the wrong answer. You don't deserve the money. If you don't know the right answer, you don't deserve it. We're going to sabotage your chances of winning. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? So we don't like to see people succeed. Look at what the left did to Trump during his entire presidency. They only wanted failure. Now you're thinking, hold on, Slater. How is this different than Rush Limbaugh and Barack Obama? Ah, yes. Do you remember that? Rush got uh, in in a a bunch of trouble when in uh, 2008, he said he hopes Obama fails. Do you remember that? He said, I hope Obama fails. But what he really said is that he hopes Obama fails in fundamentally transforming the country into his harmful vision. Rush hoped that Obama failed in his policy desires because he knew that Obama's political successes would be bad for America. That's different. The failure that people want to see for Trump is personal. The policy was irrelevant. The policy meant nothing. They just wanted to see Trump fail at all costs. If back in 2008, if Barack Obama said, I want the government to take over health care, Rush Limbaugh would say, I hope you fail in that effort. I, 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 hope you, I hope you are not successful. I hope you fail. But if Barack Obama turned around in 2009 and said, I, you know what? I was wrong. I want a free market in healthcare, And here's a bunch of uh, policies that I'm proposing that are very conservative. And I think this can really help everyone in this country. Then Rush Limbaugh would have said, wow, that's awesome. Great. Thank you, Barack. That's wonderful. Okay. Let's everyone, uh, let's, let's uh, support this. See, that's the difference. Rush was very specific. He said, I want, I want Obama's policies to fail. If Trump said, I want to build a wall, the left would say, you're Hitler. If Trump turned around and said, you know what? I don't, I don't think we should build a wall. The left would say, oh, you got to build the wall. How dare you not build a wall? You don't want to stop human trafficking. Oh, Trump's in favor of child sex trafficking. Trump's against this. Trump's like, oh, no, no. They wouldn't let, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the policy is. It's just Trump. They want him to go down. And if that means orange jumpsuit, whatever. Because nothing's worked so far, so they have to keep upping the ante. They decided in 2016 to be against everything he does, no matter what. And you just look to COVID for all the proof there. Trump said, you know what? Maybe, uh, I don't know. I've heard some stuff that maybe this ivermectin could maybe help people with COVID. I don't know. We'll check it out. We'll see if that's a, a thing that's helpful. And the left and the FDA and everyone in the media called it horse paste. Called ivermectin horse paste. Horse, horse paste. And smeared not only Trump, but ivermectin. Meanwhile, the guy who invented ivermectin won the Nobel Prize for it in 2015. And people were acting like ivermectin was poison, like a poison gas. Like, like, uh, like a Bashad was using ivermectin to kill his people in Syria. Like, oh my gosh, Trump's using ivermectin. What are you talking about? Ivermectin's been used like a billion times. So you see what I'm talking about? That's, 
what that is. That's very different. And I think this is a potential turning point in our country for the worst. There's a story, I don't know if it's true, but it's a good little tale, that Oprah once asked Bono to explain the difference between America and the Irish when it comes to money. And Bono said, uh, he told the story of a man walking with his son and pointed at, at a big mansion up on the hill. And Bono said, in America, the son, the, the father will say, one day, I will have a mansion like that man. One day, son, we will live in a mansion like that. In Ireland, the dad says, one day, we're going to get that guy. For all of Trump's life, Trump was the man who people wanted to be. Women wanted to be with, men wanted to be, lifted up, heralded, the whole thing, right? All through the 80s, like, like, like everyone loved Trump and they loved that he was rich. And now, and I don't even know if this is entirely because of Trump. I think it's just our culture right now. But we have a cultural desire to take people like Trump down. And Trump just happens to be the person who's most like Trump. Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. We talked to Dan Gaynor today. We also talked to Roger Simon, his new book, about uh, the great migration that's occurring today from uh, blue states to red states. But we want to play this interview with the economics expert at Breitbart.com, the great John Carney. Uh, he's awesome. So we break down some of the numbers here. And then he said something at the end here, which I really, really don't want to believe is true. I don't think it's true about credit cards. Maybe he's right, but I trust him. <laughs> I trust him and respect him. So I don't know what to do. What do you think? Here it is. John, how are you, sir? I am very good. How are you? Wonderful. Good to talk to you. We got lots of economic stuff to chat about. And Joe was uh, talking about Bidenomics yesterday uh, in, uh, in Philly doing his whole I'm from Scranton thing. Give us a couple numbers first, though. Give, give us some employment numbers here that just came out. Yeah, sure. So uh, unemployment rose to 3.8% in August, which was unexpected. That was a big jump. Uh, and we created fewer jobs than uh, in the two earlier months. So in other words, they revised down by a lot the job creation numbers for June and July. Um, so the, so already the labor market wasn't quite as strong as we thought it was. However, the August numbers were quite good. Again, those also may get revised. I mean, people always ask, why do the numbers have to get revised so much? And the answer is, we live in a really big country, and it's really hard to keep track of how many people are being added or subtracted to payrolls every month. And so, yeah, this number gets revised, which is quite something when you think about, like, how much policy and, you know, and newspaper headlines and everything is based around the initial numbers and the revisions don't really get that much attention. Yeah, no, no, it's great. But um, what, yeah, what we're seeing is that the, even though the numbers were revised down, 
Um, so the labor market wasn't quite as strong as we thought it was. 3.8% is still a really good uh, unemployment rate. If we had been at 3. Point, if we hadn't just been at 3.5, everybody would say it was a miracle that you got down to 3.8. I mean, that is yeah. a, a level of unemployment that we haven't seen since the 1960s. So unemployment rate went up to 3.8. Is that because people got fired or is that because more people who are not in the workforce started looking for jobs? You are correct. Very good. Uh, it is the second one. Um, people, uh, there were very few layoffs, in fact. Uh, people, employers may have slowed down their hiring, but they are not laying a lot of people off right now. And people who are laid off are finding jobs very quickly. The unemployment rate up went, rate went up because uh, more people are looking for work. People have decided, okay, uh, Yes, I you know I want to find a job, I want to work, and so we had an uptick in what they call the labor force participation rate. It was actually the first uptick in the labor force participation rate in four or five months. So you know that mm. is usually you know that's usually a sign that uh, whatever is happening in the economy is considered good enough by people who aren't working that they're drawn back right. into the workforce. There's uh, another number that could have two different reasons for it. Uh, consumer spending going up. So it says here in one of your articles that consumer spending rose by 0.8% last month. So people are spending more. Now, are people spending more because uh, things are going great and I have all this extra money to spend? Or are people spending more because I'm actually buying less, but the things I bought cost more? Right, well, so this time the answer is a little bit of both. Um, so yes, things cost more, but Inflation was pretty calm uh, over this summer. It, it, you know, we're way down from where we were a year ago. Uh, the month-to-month -month inflation rate has been pretty high. This appears to be a pretty big shift into you know people being willing to spend. That shouldn't be that surprising. You know, part of it is, of course, you know, they, a lot of things got more expensive uh, in the month. So. Inflation is still there. It's still partially a driver of this, but not as big as it had been. In this case, it appears that very low unemployment, uh, the ability to find jobs even if you are, if you do lose your job, uh, is encouraging people to be pretty open and free about their spending. They are willing to spend money. I mean, look, just look at how many. I mean, Taylor Swift has sold out a hundred concerts in the United States. <laughs> Or, you know, with like 50,000 seats, of, you know, I mean, just mind blowing numbers. And those seats, by the way, aren't selling for what Taylor Swift is getting for them. She got like $40, $50, up to $500 per ticket. And they sell for like $3,000. So people are selling out money. You know, yeah, real, real, I, got, I actually got a bunch. Of, I got a bunch of questions about that, actually. Not to fin not to cut off your point. But by the way, my wife the other day, she said, hey, I'd like to go to a Morgan Wallen concert. I'm like, okay, sure. So we look at the Morgan Wallen. $700 to get in the stadium <laughs> to get into right. the worst seats in the house are $700. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> like that's, who in the world could do that and would do that? And you're right. They sell it like all, all the kids. So the secondary market, his wife and daughter to see, to see uh, a Taylor Swift song. He didn't want to pay for a ticket himself. You know, he'd see Taylor Swift, but not for a thousand bucks. Uh, 
And he said, actually, the coolest thing is that outside of Taylor Swift's shows, there's like a bunch of dads hanging out waiting to drive their daughters back. And it's, uh, like, a, it's like a tailgate football scene. Oh, that, like, that's pretty funny. Dad scene. That's funny. So I, uh, this is a side topic, but the uh, secondary ticket market for things. Why would Taylor Swift be okay with selling something for $50 that whose real value, meaning what someone would actually pay for it, right. is $2,000? What's, what's well, that's up with a that? good question. I mean, she, she's definitely leaving money on the table by doing that, but I think she probably wins a lot of, like, you know, of points, even if people aren't thinking directly of this, you know, she came out and said, I'm going to charge my fans a thousand bucks just to walk into the stadium. I think that that would have a bad reputational effect on her. You know, I think people that's a song would of think hers, that that was a bad was... reputation. I think that's a... Did you mean <laughs> right, to do that? Exactly. I literally think that's a song. No, that was. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, I did something bad yeah, as a no, song. It's, and Reputation's it's an album. Story, there. Just cool. say yes. No, yeah, yeah. Reputation <laughs> is an album. Yeah, I think it's a song too. Um, but there would be a lot of bad blood between. Uh, that's a, that's another one. Fans. Unbelievable. The man can't be stopped. It's, un, it's uh, unreal. <laughs> I think you went to a couple of those shows, John. I think you've out. <laughs> you've out. I was shelling out a couple grand for this. Uh, that's, I'll that's just say good. when I have my kids in the car, it plays constantly. So, you know, they, they do sort of. All right, so that, that is interesting, though. So people blame that people subconsciously know that it's the scalpers who are to blame for right. greedy. But then I, I know people who do this, or I know right, of people her. who do this. They'll buy a bunch of, they'll buy 30 tickets right when they come out and then sell them and make a ton of money. <laughs> I wonder how ill-advised that game is. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, it's actually a bigger economic effect um, because I've heard, I just actually had some friends visiting for Labor Day weekend. I, they, they actually took a whole family trip to Los Angeles to see Taylor Swift. They went to Disneyland also, you know, so they're like in a hotel, they're renting cars, they're going to, you know, amusement parks. They, and, uh, and, we, and we heard this like when Taylor Swift played near Philadelphia, that the Philadelphia hotels were booked up and the restaurants were flooded. So the economic effect of Taylor Swift doing these shows is actually even bigger than just, you know, people spending money on the tickets. It is people spending money throughout. It, you know, it creates little economic booms when she shows up. Yeah. So I will drive 30 minutes. Parking can't be more than $10. And the concert has to start at 5 so I can be home by 8. <laughs> right. That's, that's anything any, yeah. where any of those variables don't work. I'm out. Sorry. No, they, you, yeah, you're, you're definitely not going to see Taylor Swift. No, I'm not going anywhere. I don't, there's nowhere that fits that anymore. So I think that, that's over. All right, so if that story is true that you just shared with all these middle-class people going to a Taylor Swift show, so there's two things we can go. First, we can talk about all the money that people are spending and credit card debt now at a trillion dollars. So people are spending the money, but do they have the money? That's the first thing. But then also people say, hey, the economy's not good. <laughs> like, it's, I'd be weird to talk to yeah. someone who spent six grand taking the family to a Taylor Swift concert with everything you just said, Disney World, the whole thing, and then ask them, hey, how's the economy doing? Like, oh, real bad. You know, Biden's really, it's like, what? what? <laughs> so what do you, how do we make sense of all that? Right. I mean, so this, so this is very interesting that people have extremely negative views of the economy, uh, even though unemployment is very low. A huge part of that just has to do with inflation. People 
don't just look at, by the way, the last month, the last six months, the last, you know, economists tend to look at like the last year of inflation. People look at it over the last couple of years, right? And they say, okay, I remember what life was like before the pandemic, where I could afford a steak, right, for dinner, for, you know, and now it's, you know, $27, $20, you know, $30 a pound. They, so they remember what prices were like. So that's a huge part of it is they genuinely feel poorer because very often there are they are because their wages haven't kept up. However, the the scariness of the economy has gone down a lot. I mean, it's obviously a lot less scary than it was when we were closing everything down during the pandemic. But it's also there, there's more job security than there was for many years. You know, Trump actually there was a lot of good job security. He was creating a lot. There were a lot of jobs being created in the economy while Trump was president. But those Obama years were pretty scary. There was a lot of people who got laid off. We seemed to every couple of years, even if we didn't enter another recession, come close to one. And pe people didn't like that very much, even though inflation was very low. But that's gone away. Inflation is high, so people don't like that part of the economy. But the scariness of, like, maybe I'm going to lose my job has, at least for now, largely faded and so people are willing to spend money. I would even caution. I know a lot of conservatives like to look at the things like the credit card numbers and be like, see, it's all being driven by debt. Yeah, you know what? People spend are willing to use their credit cards more when they feel confident that they're going to be able to pay them off. It's sort of a myth mm. that people turn to their credit cards when they're strapped for cash. When you look at what happens during a serious economic downturn, it's not that people turn to their credit cards. It's people stop spending. So as long as people are spending, that is at least a sign that they're, you know, that they they're somewhat confident in maybe not how the economy is doing, but how they're doing. Oh, that's interesting. I, 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 I don't, I don't want to accept what you just said. I don't want, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think that's true. What you just said, huh? I'll have to think more about that because I trust you and respect it, it's you. It's very difficult because look, most of us. You, you know, prefer not to run up big credit card bills, right? Like we know we're smart enough to know, like don't run up big credit card bills, especially don't run up big credit card bills when interest rates are very high. So it seems strange to us that like, you know, and, and, and if we did do that, it would be because we were having an, a, some sort of economic emergency. But in general, that's not actually how it works. Hmm. People spend more when, and they use their credit cards more during good economic times. And they cut up their credit cards during bad economic times because they're worried that they won't be able to pay off their bills. Interesting, okay. Uh, I read the other day that there are 70 million more credit card accounts than in 2019. 70 million <laughs> new more credit cards. That's yeah. crazy. Um, and just on expensive. Yeah, I mean, you go ahead. Just open your mailbox one day, you know, uh, like there's no, there's a ton of credit card offerings. Everything you buy online tries to give you a credit card to go with it. They're like, look, you can save an additional 10%, yeah. you know, yeah, bot, you know, if you, so I, I, I think a lot, I'm not sure how much all of those credit cards are frankly being used. The, a lot of them come with fees, maybe not in the first year, but it's a little like the subscription trap, right? Like, you know, oh, it's free, and then you know, five years later, you realize you've been paying a hundred bucks every year to yeah, you know carry around a credit card you don't use. Right? Yeah, people spending uh, so money. I, it's think crazy. That, I, I think a lot of it. Sorry, yeah, I think a lot of it is is bank People spending money. I was at I uh, went to Bucky's yesterday, and just packed, just packed with people. And I went to buy some beef jerky, 
And I was like, let's get three pieces of beef jerky. That's, I mean, what, what are three pieces of beef jerky going to call you? That seemed like a sensible amount of beef jerky. Uh, right. It was $12. No, like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe beef jerky is like a lot. I don't know. But I thought that was a lot of money for beef jerky. I thought it would be like a dollar a piece. And it was $12. What the heck? So we spent $71 <laughs> at Bucky's. And I stood in line. And there were 120 gas pumps. And we waited. And it was weird. I felt bad. We were driving in. And I was like, man, I feel bad for that Sunoco station right there. Right. And I was like, why would anyone go to the right. Sunoco when you got the Bucky's right here? And my wife said, oh, because you don't have to deal with all this. And I was like, what do you mean all this? And we pull in and we had to wait for the gas pump at Bucky's. I think you're like, well, where was everyone getting gas before the Bucky's was here? That's unbelievable. Anyway, people are spending money. That's my point. Uh, John, great to talk to you, man. Thanks, you brother. Thanks, brother. Uh, he's our, uh, he's the Breitbart.com economics editor. Sign up for the Breitbart Business Daily newsletter. Uh, it's great. American made I got American parts I got Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily on tomorrow's show. Well, we mentioned this when we were talking about leaving blue states to red states. There's a list. It was on Breitbart.com, a list of the like, top 20 cities in America and why. And then the worst and why, what the metrics are. And crime was the biggest issue, as one of our callers called in. That's why he left New York was because of crime. Uh, so talk about that, why people are leaving and then why people would stay. We can do that. Also, we got to play the video of the 29-year-old childless uh, single girl talking about how wonderful her life is because she gets to sleep until 11 o'clock and doesn't have any responsibilities at all. We, need, we have lots to debrief about that. We'll do that tomorrow as well. Spread the word. 